Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. New Year, spandiferous, fantastical, multi-episode drill down into 2019 predictions. Also, 2019, we'll be celebrating 10 years of the Kaiser Report. Over 185 million people have been in a hotel room or walking through an airport when the Kaiser Report's been playing in the background. Stacy. <laughs> Did you add them all up? <laughs> I've got 40 million of them, and they love the show. <laughs> well, that would make a perfect bookend because, you know, in the last episode on January 1st, 2019, we did mention this could be a year of a stock market crash. We started on the stock market crash and we could end on a stock market crash. It would be very poetic, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I also said that this year, you know, we're going to change up a little bit, just slightly. You won't notice too much difference. but. One thing when we made Gonzo and uh, when we made that series, one thing that was quite remarkable to me of traveling across America is that it's so peaceful and calm and quiet and unhysterical. Much of how one feels about the U.S. or global economy, but certainly politics. And in the next episode of our three-part January you know, New Year's sort of special. We're going to talk about politics. But right now, you know, it's so hyperactive and extreme and everything's about to fall apart and, high, and, and you know, breathless sort of, oh, my God, oh, my God, everything's changing. Whereas what we found when we traveled across America is people outside of the Beltway are not unhinged like what you see on Twitter and cable news. Hmm. Yes, well, you know, across America, you know, it's a big country, and there are regions, and it, within those regions, there are separate identities. So the people in Nevada are very different than the people in Los Angeles, very different than the people in North Dakota, or Florida, and they have their own economies, their own culture, one would say. You know, if you travel across Europe, you'll be in France and Germany and Spain within a few hours and go across America. It's one homogenized country, but there are these distinct regions, the South, the Northeast, the West Coast, and these people are living according to their own particular cultural, economic backgrounds and what serves them, and um, that's what makes America quite a dynamic place. And I will say, just to follow up on this, 185 million people have been in the presence of the Kaiser Report when it's been playing in the background. The most frequent question I get over the years is, how, do I ever clean this vest? Because I've worn the vest now for over 1,400 episodes. And the answer is no, I've never actually had it cleaned. This is some of the original dirt from episode one is right on the vest, on this waste coast. And uh, that's why I'm sending it to the Smithsonian Institute, or to put it more plainly, the Smith Smithsonian. Smithsonian. So yeah. I want to actually get into some predictions and headlines there. And you bring up a good point is that there are many different cultures and regions around America, because that was a, something that stood out on our journey across America. It does apply to what I'm going to talk about, geoeconomics and geopolitics. Because here I am an American, and I've been an American for over 40 years, and <laughs> over 20 years, let's say. And, um, <laughs> and one thing I was surprised about is when I drove through Nevada, we were driving through Nevada at night, a 65-mile-per-hour zone, highway, a freeway, a motorway, you know, speeding traffic. And I did see a sign, and it said open range. But, you know, nothing in my experience 
as an American throughout my life had prepared me for what open range actually means. And that means there are no fences and some farmer's cattle can be on the middle of the highway. And I found that out speeding at 65 miles per hour in the middle of the night and almost slamming right into two giant cows, actually. No, no, I remember distinctly. Uh, I, we were driving around. And I looked up and I said, oh, that's interesting. And you, you said, what's what? what? What is that? I said, there's a sign. I've never seen it before. It said, open range. And we're like, what does that mean, open range? And then, ah! You know, there they were, bigger than life, two enormous steer, black as night, and you couldn't see them. So a lot of things are spelled out for you, but you, you refuse to believe it. Like, it never entered my mind that a, a farmer would allow their cattle to just roam around on the highway where cars are traveling at great speed. Um, by the way, if you hit the cattle, if I had hit it, it would have been my fault and my financial responsibility. So I'm going to look at the signs out there like one belt, one road, <laughs> you know, listed. They're telling you what they're creating. They're recreating the Silk Road. That is China is building the one belt, one road policy. And they're spelling it out for us. A lot of people are like, yeah, right. Like they're not going to let their cattle wander around in the middle of the highway, are they? And a lot of people are thinking, well, they're not going to let, you know, their ambitions, their financial and economic ambitions walk out in the middle of the of the, you know, U.S. military highway. You know, they're not going to want to step in front of the U.S. military. Right. But it's happening right in front of our eyes. It's being built right in front of our eyes. Um, if you tune into the cable news, <laughs> they're talking about Trump's latest tweet as like that's a distraction from all the stuff going on right around you. Yeah, one belt, one road. So, I mean, this is uh, the answer to the maritime supremacy of empires of the past. It was always about controlling the seas. The British Empire, of course, controlled the seas with their Royal Navy. The U.S. Uh, was controlling the seas effectively uh, during the uh, post-World uh, War II and post-World uh, War II era with their um, battleship cruisers and submarines, et cetera. But in China, uh, it's enormous. They don't have the same access. Uh, so uh, they're hooking up with everybody uh, in that area, including Russia, to create this, uh, you know, uh, land sea, if you will, one road, one belt. And so that's their answer to world domination. It's going to be over land. And of course, as you point out, this happened before the Silk Road. So we already know that this is a heavily traversed trading route. So I think that's going to really come into play. You know, Obama started that Asia pivot and then we got distracted by Hillary's humiliation and Hillary's utter and complete humiliation in 2016 caused a diversion from the Asian pivot, i.e. we became obsessed with Russiagate. So I think now that um, more and more people are, you know, Hillary's kind of fading from memory and her humiliation is fading from memory. I think the Asia pivot will resume this year. And even Niall Ferguson, when he was looking at the G20 in uh, December, what he pointed out was that that is now China's becoming an organizing principle of foreign policy from both the Democrats and Republicans. So they're starting to notice that <laughs> we're being left behind. And before, you know, the guy in front of you and the race gets too far away, they want to grab China by, you know, their shirt and pull them back and make sure that they don't get too far ahead. 
Well, you know, we talk to a lot of people all over the world, political experts. Poli yeah, 185 million people. <laughs> economic experts, you know, we talk to a lot of people. And, you know, they make a very interesting observation about America. They say, Why does America obsess over Russia? Because when they visit America and they go to the universities and they go to technical facilities and corporations, they see Americans working, studying, and sitting right next to them are Chinese people, Chinese students. And they make the point that they are gobbling up a lot of information and they are gobbling up a lot of expertise and they are um, you know taking photos and they're uh, reporting back to uh, the, the, the people back in China you know they're, they're getting ready for this and in America is like we don't see any problem uh, the rush is the problem rush is the problem no well actually um this is an aside from our predictions for 2019 I will say that we spoke to a federal agent on this show and he said that he went to, I think it was Stanford or Berkeley, because they had a government contract that the, for the federal agency. And he went in there to work with the lead professor. And, and it was a group of graduate students building the system for them. And he said, like, of the 10 students, eight were from China. And he said to the researcher in charge, like, uh, <laughs> you can't have foreign nationals building this for us, but like what what's going on? So yes, there is that, but you know, that's another question and a big story and another, you know, for a regular Kai's report in the future. So we're gonna continue talking about what we see going forward for 2019. And I think, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the last episode, we have uh, the stock market crash, which I believe will happen this year. Certainly housing market is already starting to fall apart. So I think you'll see more money printing. I don't think we're gonna see any um, new ideas about giving it like say QE for the people. Uh, uh, you know, the New York Fed and the Federal Reserve Bank of America will only, they only, they love and care about their good friends and their good friends work at the big banks and they're gonna continue with the same policy because they don't care as much about some guy in Nebraska or some guy in Nevada. They only care about their friend in New York and that's natural and they're only gonna give the money to them and so the Cantillon effect will continue and global insurrection against banker occupation, Giabo will continue and it could get worse if what we saw in France and Spain and all these sort of countries is anything to go by. Right. Uh, these uh, disparate, uh, you know, uprisings and riots, uh, if they start communicating with each other. I mean, during the uh, problems uh, in Greece, remember, uh, this was uh, a period of Occupy Wall Street. And I made the observation that the Occupy Wall Street people should go to Athens and join forces with the Greek people and their uprising against the neoliberals that were destroying the Greek economy. But people don't understand the globalized nature of all this. But I think in 2019, that globalized bell will be rung and that all people everywhere will realize they have common cause against the fiat money ponzi scheme fractional reserve banking knuckleheads well in a way you know you, you don't you know you we used to have organized armies and they would line up in a in a like straight line and once a war changed and they were meeting guerrilla warfare who just like picked them all off uh you don't want to be too organized you don't want to be like send the artillery in and be on there and get gunned down first. Like, you know, in a way, the fact that it's so, like none of the, they, they don't, they don't point to the Democrats or the Republicans or that far left or that far right party. They want no parties, they want no politicians, they want nothing. So it's just like pure, just 
rising up against the notion of the contillion effect and neoliberal economics. And I, think I, that's I get what we'll that see. there's no benefit to having leaders uh, in an organization to go against the um, centralized authoritarian bankers, but what's been missing on the, these protests is a common enemy. So in other words, all of these, let's call them left-wing groups, believe that they're um, imperative is the most important one. They have the moral high ground. So they, the, the, the environmentalists think that they have the moral high ground. You know, the, the, the uh, few well, purists you know, think that they have the, the moral high ground, et cetera. When, when, you know, the barbarians invaded Rome because the people let them in. That's the moment. Like, whence the people, the ordinary middle class, upper middle class, the close to the elites, kind of almost at the elites, once they let in these ideas and say, yes, basta, like enough of all of this uh, contillion effect, enough of this corruption, enough of this fiat system, um, then, the, then the end will come for that and something new will emerge, hopefully better. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. The future's going to be wonderful. And there'll still be Kaiser Report playing in airports and hotel rooms all over the world. And when we come back, we're going to hear from more predictions from more experts who will give you their vision of 2019. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Let's turn to my, Dr. Michael Hudson, author of And Forgive Them Their Debts. You know, we've been talking about geopolitics and geoeconomics in the first half. So let's dig into a big story of the day, the new Cold War. Some are calling it between America and China. What are, are your thoughts? Well, it really is a, a serious Cold War. Uh, it's a global fracture. Uh, I don't see that there's any way in which uh, China can surrender to the U.S. Uh, demands. The U.S., uh, the euphemism for this Cold War is intellectual property rights. What that really means is monopoly rent. Uh, the United States position is uh, we look at a threat to our national security, any country that can produce goods or services cheaper than we can. And uh, uh, especially an, uh, our intent, since we can't manufacture anymore because we're too debt-ridden, is to uh, get monopoly rents on our high technology exports so no other country can uh, invest in a technology competing with the United States or that threatens our national security, which uh, we don't feel secure unless you are totally dependent on us. You are not, we are not secure unless we can cut off your food supply and make you do whatever we want in foreign policy and treat you like we're treating Iran. Uh, we're not secure if we can't uh, uh, put in our uh, IT devices spyware so that we know what you're doing. That's why we wanted to know what Angela Merkel was doing. Of course, we want to listen to her so we can feel secure that uh, G Germany is not going to do anything that we don't uh, ask it to do. And China is making uh, uh, telephones and computer equipment that we can't spy on, and that is a threat to our national security because they're interfering with our ability to spy on you and on it. Uh, and there's uh, no way that China is going to say, okay, we surrender, we are going to be your client. All growth in uh, economic output can be uh, siphoned off by the United States as monopoly rents. Uh, there's no way that it can do it. The China, the basic principle is the principle of Adam Smith and the classical economists that monopoly rents are unearned income, they're extractive, and the technology should be something that anybody has a chance to uh, use and the country that can uh, produce technology at the lowest cost, meaning without debt, 
without high taxes uh, to subsidize uh, a military spending, without military and financial overhead, is going to be the most efficient in the world. Now, this has been brewing for a while. And for a while, we had this uh, symbiotic relationship between the U.S. and China where uh, we were exporting our jobs to China in exchange for really cheap stuff really cheap manufactured goods so that our recently unemployed folks in America could buy TVs much cheaper. So it buffered the impact of being jobless. Uh, but there was this circular logic. They were accumulating dollars, but they were uh, sterilizing those dollars to make sure that they didn't cause uh, inflation at home, et cetera. So, but there was, and people brought up this fact that, you know, eventually this is going to become more of a conflict. But they said, no, because it's this beautiful symbiotic relationship. So now it sounds like things are becoming more tense and it's more of a conflict going on. So how does that play out? If there, if, it, it sounds like, okay, in the financial wars that they're being uh, waged here in the financial Cold War, what? Who's holding what? Who's got the advantage in this case? And how can this, like, uh, where would it go from here? Well, the United States wants a free market. And a free market means you can't compete with us. A free market means you have to buy from us. If you make your own food or your own output, that's not free. That's government interference. Uh, and if you subsidize your education and your transportation and you're more efficient, that is a threat to our national security because you're threatening to undersell us. And especially if the government su supports this, like America supports the military and uh, supports uh, the uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, that that's uh, an interference. So the hypocrisy... Okay, so the U.S. is putting in tariffs. Of okay. course. All right, so then how, what's China's response? How, what's, how does this game play? Well, the tariffs are mainly against American companies in China that uh, have employed Chinese labor to export to the parent companies. Like Apple. So they're American, yeah, yeah, American affiliates. So uh, the, uh, the American parent companies are going to have to pay much more uh, from their affiliates. If I were China, I'd say if you're imposing a 25% tariff on our exports, we're going to impose a 25% export charge on our exports to you so that we will get as much, our government will get as much money from our output as you're getting. That's fair as fair. We both get 25%. Is this, is this going to be coterminous? In other words, are these both of these countries going to blow up, like, in, engage in this Cold War, financial Cold War, or is there going to be a winner? It's not a winner. The world will change. So uh, the, the the whole game will change. It's not like most uh, win-lose games have, have rules. Is it fair to call it a war? Change. Is it a war? Absolutely, it's a war. Okay. So in, in wars, there's usually winners and losers. So um, who's going, how's it, what's the end game here? Uh, it, it will be each country splitting and going its own way. Uh, the Chinese uh, uh, Belt and Road Group, the Eurasian Group, what they what they already call the R20, the uh, the R20 countries will go their way, and the Americans and their satellites, uh, Canada and Europe uh, and Latin America, will go its way. So you'll have a fracturing of the world. And uh, instead of a war, they're saying, okay, let's just have a, a boundary. Uh, and uh, countries, uh, America is forcing other countries to choose. For instance, America says, look, we've wanted Iran's oil since 1953. That's why we overthrew Mossadegh. Any country trading with Iran, uh, you know, we're going to, to block because we still want to grab its oil. And our, uh, we've made a deal with Saudi Arabia to fight against the Shiites. So uh, any country that's not agreeing with this, uh, we're 
excluding. Right. So, so America so, is, so, is so growing up. In, in this case, it's a it's a it's a transformation. It's a transmodernification. Trans yes. You have the, the trade routes that have been there for decades are gonna it's gonna shift. It's gonna yes. be a much different looking world. Trade is gonna be a lot different. One road, one belt, uh, and going at that whole eastern uh, world, it becomes uh, conjoined, and they have a trading yes. block there. Uh, the U.S. is going to have to uh, figure out new ways to uh, b bolster its economy. Um, and and um, so the, on the currency front, uh, the dollar, according to some, like Ray Dalio, a very well-respected hedge fund, is going to drop 30 percent or more. we got about 10 seconds or left. Do you see the dollar in peril? No. Uh, the Japanese don't, I mean, the Chinese don't either. The Chinese are convinced that the dollar is going to remain strong uh, because it can simply get all the money it wants from Europe and from its satellites. Uh, so it can drain uh, uh, the satellites uh, for a while. Okay, uh, so you've got transmogrification of the global economy and you've got a strong dollar. That's a fair summary of your predictions for 2019? For the time being, yes. Oh, very good. Well, that's going to do it for Michael Hudson. Now let's go over to Michael Pento, see what he thinks about 2019. Michael Pento. That's me. How the you doing? predictions that have come fast and furious year after year is that China will be collapsing this year. <laughs> is 2019 going to finally be the year that their debt collapses? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and I haven't been predicting the collapse of China each and every year, just at their rate of growth. The second derivative would be slowing profusely. I think China, from all indications that I can tell, is probably in a recession right now. And they cannot comp the stimulus that they put on in 2016 again. And even if they were to, their yuan would absolutely collapse. It would go below, above seven to the dollar and keep going from there. So I don't think they have anything to do in 2019 but collapse. And what that means for global growth, you know, they were responsible for one third of global growth. What that means for the European nations, who their biggest customer is, is China. Um, and, uh, and I'm assuming, by the way, Stacey, that there is no conflagration with trade. I'm assuming everything gets worked out. What's going on in China is a $2 trillion debt in 2000 that grew to $40 trillion today. It's the most unbalanced pile of dung the world has ever seen. And yet they're building the One Belt, One Road. The United States wants that to stop. Yeah, they are starting because they're taking over countries. Yes, and Sovereignty. now the United States is starting to notice that. Well, of course, the United States ended up ruling the world for a very similar yeah. in use the same techniques. Right. So, will that One Belt One Road initiative continue, and or will it stop because of debt, or will it stop because of U.S. military intervention? Um, well, I think that these Eastern European nations are going to stop it themselves because what's happening is they have very onerous. Uh, parameters for these debt loads that they have. And what's happening is they're giving up their own sovereignty. They're giving up all of the things that they wanted China to do for them. You don't want to give up your ports to China because you defaulted on debt. So I think they are going to be one stopping China. Now, the other thing is the rise of China as a political power around the world. Mm -hmm. Can their geopolitical power rise fast enough to outrun their debt and pollution? I don't think so. I do not think so. I don't think so at all. Well, they are like way ahead of the US in AI, for example, mm -hmm. and a lot of high tech. Uh, she did um, pivot towards 
high tech and high value added products away from like manufacturing tat for you know Walmart and towards artificial intelligence, which many say that if you control artificial intelligence, you control the next few decades in terms of the economy, the global economy. And they are, um, you know, heading towards outer space, developing that sort of high tech stuff. They're going like, to get a space force to compete with us, you think? Well, who knows? <laughs> could, could be, right? Well, they, they, they are authoritarian and they do have a single party and they can mobilize rapidly. They don't have to worry about elections for a while either. Yeah. So we're talking about durations here, Stacey. I'm yeah. talking about 2019, 2020. In the yeah. long run, Asia is going to supplant the United States okay. as the global power. But not I'm in not, 2019. Not, they, have a, they have to a reconcile this huge debt and balance that's coming right in front of their eyes. And like I said, the usual outlet is the currency. The currency starts to rise, uh, I'm sorry, depreciate rapidly against the dollar. All the Asian trading partners have to depreciate their currency. There's $11 trillion worth of dollar-denominated debt outside the United States that's gonna be bankrupt. So w once we get through this very difficult period, both uh, in Asia and in Europe, South America and the United States, then there might be a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. But let's get through that first. Okay, and a final follow-up on that. Could they be racking up this debt so rapidly, China doing this, because they know there's an end to the U.S. dollar in sight? So why well, not? I, I tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing China's doing that we're not doing, and that's accumulating a lot of gold. So is Russia, and so is India. So I look at that, that and the fact that they have currency reserves, $2 trillion left still, okay, that's going to be a, uh, that will greatly ameliorate the problems that are coming to China. We don't, we're not so lucky. Okay, so the big 2019 theme is China's uh, down. Yeah, no, I, well, that's one of them. An inverted yield curve, a U.S. recession, earnings recession, an economic recession, and a stock market crash. Sounds oh, uh, one fun. more. Can I do one more thing? <laughs> yeah. And a complete capitulation by Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, going back into QE. How's that? All right. Write this him down. sounds like a good year for Kaiser. Oh, report. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Stacey. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this special holiday episode with our experts at making their predictions. And if you want to uh, catch us on Twitter, just look for Kaiser Report. This has been Max Kaiser with Stacey Herbert. See you next time. Bye, y'all.